0: Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior If you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message, and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Revelation chapter 11 is uh, still in that
1: parenthetical period uh, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. It really is explaining to us some of the things that have gone on already. So uh, it's not like uh, the sixth seal ended and then we see these things. These things have already kind of been happening in the background uh, of uh, the first half of the tribulation period. And so in this 11th chapter, they're going to reveal a few things to us. And I've entitled it The Two Witnesses because the primary part of of Revelation 11, at least the first part, deals with these two witnesses. But I'll be honest, I don't think we're going to pass verse 2 tonight. Uh, because there's some other things that we're going to deal with in verses 1 and 2 that uh, are important for us to see as well, and some things that maybe point to uh, uh, just a, the rapid succession of events that are coming, and uh, just as just as we look at the world around us, and I'm, I'm viewing all of this, uh, you know, if, if God's not fixing to rapture the church out, I'm telling you, uh, He's sure doing a warm-up uh, here in our presence, and so uh, excited for that day, looking forward to it, but there are there's also a sense of urgency we have uh, because the hour is late and, and the lost are still in need. And so let us uh, be uh, diligent. Let us be vigilant. Uh, I'm reminded that that is even why we're looking to build, uh, why we're looking to, uh, to continue to grow, is because there are still lost people all the way around us here in Springfield that need the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so Revelation chapter number 11 Uh, We're going to start there in verses number uh, 1, and we're going to read down through verse number uh, 13 here this evening. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out. And measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And these are the the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeded out of their mouth and devoured their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut the heaven that it rain not in the days of the prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their, bodies, their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt." where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened, and they gave glory to the God of heaven." And just verse 14, the second woe is passed, and behold behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Let's stop and pray. Lord, we're thankful once again to come back to Your Word, Lord, to be able to be encouraged and strengthened, and and Lord, even um, see, Lord, uh, some of the great love of God that has been demonstrated as You share these truths with us. And God, we are more than excited and looking forward to that great and glorious day when we will see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so until that day, uh, until that trumpet blows, would You help us to be faithful? Lord, faithful in our witness, faithful in our love of you, Lord, faithful in every way. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, as we come back to the Word of God, uh, we're in Revelation 11, this is kind of an integral part as we see uh, this portion between the sixth and seventh trumpets. This really has to do with the spiritual life of Israel. And, and what we see in chapter 12, it transitions into this persecution of Israel. And so, in this 11th chapter, we see Israel really has reverted to the Old Testament system of worship. And they will rebuild the temple apart from the Messiah, since they believe He's not yet come. And they will construct the temple of rejection, if you will. And so this chapter unfolds then the revelation that also that two supernatural witnesses will be recalled from the Old Testament days to convey God's message to Jerusalem uh, in this time. And so in spite of these witnesses, despite the 144,000 in chapter 7, Israel will really remain in this steadfast resolution of rejection until the second half, till the great time of uh, of uh, of the great tribulation begins in the second part of tribulation and so let's look very quickly tonight at this Jewish temple. The, the temple has played an integral role in the history of Israel. And it's interesting to note that coinciding with God, using the church as the primary vehicle to share the gospel, the, the temple was destroyed. So when God then and I turned His attention, they crucified Jesus, and God began to deal with and work in the church. The Holy Spirit came upon the church, and the church began to carry the gospel. What we see is not long after that, the temple was destroyed for 2,000 years nearly. There has been no temple where they could go and worship but then when God turns his attention once again toward Israel they will build this temple again and though uh, through this what we see is God is showing how he's moving today and will do so in the future. So let's look at it quickly. Why does the temple matter? What is the historical significance? Because taking a backward glance uh, at this, I think, is imperative. Because uh, because as we just view the the idea of why this is important to the Jewish people, it helps us then to uh, to uh, to understand the significance in Revelation. And so, after Israel was established in the land uh, in the in the promised land, well, we see David, who was the man after God's own heart, desired to build a great temple. For the Lord God, but David had bloodied his hands in wars to the degree that he was not able, and was impossible for God to use them. First Kings chapter five verse three says, "Thou knowest how that David, my father, could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet." And so we know that David couldn't necessarily build it at this point. But he was permitted by God to raise much of the money. He had the plan set up from God. The material uh, that went into the building of it uh, was all set aside and prepared. And as Solomon became the king of Israel, he carried on that vision of his father that was there before. We call it today Solomon's Temple. Just an artist's rendition of it there on the screen. Listen, what I'll glean from this, there's times when we have made decisions that may qualify, disqualify us from certain areas of ministry and service. But that doesn't mean that God is done with you. Amen? I'm so grateful for the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so God put on the, the heart of David to build this temple, but God didn't permit him to build it. Instead, he just used David as a conduit to prepare the way for it. Now, I could imagine, being David, uh, uh, that this must have been a difficult thing to hear uh, that God was not going to permit him to build this great temple. But instead, he said, he said listen, if I can't build it, I'm going to prepare the way. I'm going to give all my energies into this. Here's something, the, the, just, just a note here. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that a bishop must, or, or deacon even must be the husband of one wife. You may be divorced, you may be unable to pastor or even be a missionary, but that doesn't mean God cannot use your life to prepare others to fulfill this calling. And I just want to encourage you uh, that, that though there may be decisions in the past that have hindered you for maybe what you are burdened for, it may be God sometimes gives us a burden so that we can carry that burden and prepare the way for others to go and to fulfill that. So back to the temple. The temple was built in Jerusalem at God's command. Now, I love this. For Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the city where he would make a place for his name, where his people would come and worship him. A couple of places in Scripture we see this, especially. Psalm chapter 87, verses 1 through 3. He says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. And so he has this picture here of the glories uh, of Jerusalem. Psalms uh, 132, verses 13 through uh, 15. For the Lord had chosen Zion. He had desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Again, we see this, this uh, poured out here that God loves this plate. This is a place of uh, where the temple would be built. Now what's interesting to note is that uh, when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, we saw the Shekinah glory of God settle down on Mount uh, Sinai. Mount Sinai. Later, I think there's a picture of that there, Travis. I think later there's also uh, where in the tabernacle, when the tabernacle was erected, you could see the pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. That Shekinah glory appeared there. And when Solomon dedicated the temple of God, I think one, the next one there, when he dedicated, they saw that visible uh, glory of the Lord that abode in that place. This became, as this, the temple then became a symbol of the protecting hand of God upon the nation of Israel. And so even in their apostate days, at the end of the kingdom era, what we see is the nation thought it was impregnable as long as the temple stood. As long as the temple was there, they thought, "Wait, we're there is no, no one that could ever come against us. Unfortunately, they were deaf to the cries of Jeremiah. They were deaf to the cries of Ezekiel. And even after some had been taken away into captivity, what we see is they still didn't trust in the Lord and turn back to, uh, back to the Lord in those days. And due to the rebellion of the hearts of the Israelites, the temple and the city of Jerusalem were destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Seventy years later, though, God fulfilled His promise and a decree was given for the rebuilding of the city and eventually of the temple and so this next temple, then that would be built, would be under the direction of Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, not Joshua the conqueror. And and but unfortunately, it was much uh, it was much more inferior inferior to the temple of Solomon. Matter of fact, it was so much more inferior that the Bible records that as they saw the foundation that was laid, the people, the old people who knew Solomon's t- temple and saw the foundation of the new temple, they began to weep. Ezra records this in Ezra chapter three, verse twelve. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. So the young people didn't know. They were just happy. Praise the Lord. The, the house of the Lord's going up. But those who knew the old house and the glory of Solomon's temple, they wept because of what they remembered. But this temple wound up serving Israel until it was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes. He was one of the Greco-Syrian rulers. We talked about him when we studied the Book of Daniel, because Daniel prophesized of the destruction uh, that he would bring and the desecration. And so, this desecration that he brought would be a uh, would be a picture of what the Antichrist would do. And as a matter of fact, if you're in Revelation, still flip over to Revelation chapter thirteen. Revelation 13 and verse number 6, this Revelation 13 deals with this, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and he says, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And Daniel also deals with this. We'll look at that scripture in just a moment. But, uh, but the Antichrist will come in and desecrate this temple. Well, that's exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did, had done and, uh, uh, and was a, a picture of what was going to happen. Again, God warned the people, listen, this is coming. You need to wake up. About 40 years before Jesus Christ, though, Herod the Great had this whole temple destroyed piecemeal and rebuilt. And the temple was known during the New Testament days as Herod's Temple. John chapter 2 and verse number 20 speaks of this, then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years of this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? And so they knew the history of Herod's temple here. But Matthew chapter twenty four he tells us of a prophecy that Christ would, would give where this temple would be destroyed. Matthew chapter twenty four, verse two. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all of these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one uh, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, we're familiar with this prophecy was fulfilled uh, in AD 70 when the Roman general laid siege to the city and the, uh, and the temple was destroyed as a result. Uh, and, and we see that that had happened because Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled exactly. Now, listen, if Jesus could be so accurate then, why can't He be accurate about what's coming? So since this time, since that point to now, nearly 2,000 years, Jerusalem has existed without a temple during that time that Holy Land has been under uh, Gentile control, under Muslim control and and different ones. And so during this time then, even the Muslims have built some of their own shrines on top of Mount Moriah, uh, and they have truly uh, removed those stones so that not one would uh, be built upon another. But it's interesting to note, in 1948, God gave Israel their homeland back. And part of it was still in the hands of the Muslims. And, and we see the little uh, part of, uh, of Israel on the left side of the screen there. And you can see how small it was. But in June eleventh, nineteen 1967, uh, there was a six-day war. And during that time, God allowed the Jews to retake uh, much of the land. And it nearly tripled the size of the country. One of the crucial places for Israel, uh, for, uh, that, that Israel needed for prophecy to be fulfilled was returned into Jewish hands at this time. And so just, just a note here, uh, the Jews own Mount Moriah, that's their land. And so at any point, God can, uh, can prepare the way and allow them to rebuild. Now, it is important that we note that, the ne- that one of the things that will happen uh, during this period of peace is that, uh, and I say peace, should say it in air quotes, is that they will rebuild the temple. And several passages of Scripture refer to the temple of the end time. For example, Matthew chapter 24, verse number 15. The Lord Jesus Christ re- refers to this abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, indicated that the end, in the end time, in the middle of the tribulation period, as Daniel predicted, the temple would be desecrated by the Antichrist. But in order for this to be fulfilled, it must first be rebuilt. It's not even there yet. Matthew 24, 15. He said, Christ said, And when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by, the prophet, uh, by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. So Christ was prophesying listen, this, this temple will be destroyed. And then later he would say that the temple will be uh, desecrated by the Antichrist. Look in 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 2 in your Bible with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 together. It's on the screen, but I just want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. I think you'll glean more out of it, seeing it there. Because it was there, the Apostle Paul predicted that the Antichrist would also, in the middle of the tribulation, defy God by sitting in the temple of God and presenting himself to the world as God. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come, uh, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition." And, when, uh, then, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and si- signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in, the, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God gave them, to, uh, gave them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So again, Paul lays this out. Look in Revelation chapter number 13. Again, we see in verse number 5, it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies and powers given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and all and them that dwell in heaven. Again and again and again we see this repeated. Daniel would also be the first to predict this. But in order for him to do this, what must happen? The temple must be rebuilt. Now, just in the Jewish mindset, remember... The end goal is to hasten the return of the Messiah. And so they they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that He's the Messiah. uh, And they are still looking for this promised Messiah. So they believe that in rebuilding the temple, they will see the time of the Messiah hastened. So they want to find peace. They want to find an opportunity to build the temple. And as the world drives itself further and further into chaos, it would make sense that they would quickly snatch up the opportunity for peace so that they could build the temple of God, especially if a promise of peace allows them that opportunity. 1987, there was a, a movement that began... That would uh, called the Temple Movement. That would begin preparations of rebuilding the Temple, and so uh, their efforts have a really uh, become a reality in this last few years. Uh, modern Israel and a large percentage of the Jewish people throughout the, uh, about this area are are really secular at this point, but Orthodox Jews. Uh, are different than maybe those uh, those others. And Orthodox Jews don't believe that these people will play a role in the rebuilding of the temple since it's a spiritual work. So it's the Orthodox Jews who then have revived the Sanhedrin uh, is, and they are really uh, desire to see this uh, temple rebuilt in a proper way. So one of the important things about the Orthodox Jews and the rebuilding of the temple lies in the role uh, of the redemption of the world uh, which they believe can only take place once the temple is re- rebuilt. Uh, one man, man named Gershom Solomon is a director of the Temple Mount Faithful. It was an organization that's been trying to prepare Israel uh, society to accept and promote this, uh, this temple and the building of it. And so they have demonstrations at the temple site, the construction of a cornerstone for the third temple. They have made various uh, utensils for the temple to be used there. He said this, Building the third temple is an act which must be done to complete the redemption of the people of the Bible in the the land of the Bible. I cannot cannot imagine an Israeli state or Israeli life in this country without the temple mount in the center of this life. And so they're doing what they can to prepare for this. One of those things, Rabbi Rickman was a member of the Sanhedrin. He has been uh, heading a project to restore the sacred heifer to Israel. According to Numbers, uh, chapter number 19, the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water are nece- ne- a necessary element for purifying Jews to enable them to perform the service in the temp- temple. And so during the first and second temple, was a time of, uh, of approximately 1,000 years, they only used nine red heifers in preparing the waters in the use of purifying Jews. According to Jewish tradition, the tenth one will be used by the Messiah. And so he is then... Uh, and because this uh, heifer can't come from Texas, although they did send some hef- heifers over from Texas, amen, what we do realize is that, that well, they're using a technique of implanting these embryos of this red Angus cattle, which came from Texas into some Israeli domestic cattle, uh, because this heifer cannot be imported. And so uh, this animal... Cannot have ever worn a yoke and it must be born in the land of Israel, cannot have one white hair. And so there's a lot of things that has to, uh, criteria it has to pass muster in order to be able to be used. And so these things are already preparing these things. One of the other things that I learned is that they have already uh, uh, prepared a, a new burnt altar. The Sanhedrin and the Temple Movement also have reenactments of the temple ceremony. They use this to train Levites uh, and those in the priestly uh, class. And so this training involves the the duties of the priests and the use of ritual vessels uh, that they would use in this third temple. Also, they practice uh, this ceremonial burnt offering, uh, what it would look like, how it would work. And they actually have uh, have built an altar uh, that can be reassembled in its proper uh, permanent location. And so a lot of these things are all all coming into play here when we look at just this, this initial Revelation 11, and it was given to me a reed into, uh, like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise, measure the temple of God. And so John sees this temple. That temple doesn't exist today, but John sees it because there is yet will be a time when they will rebuild that. I have no doubts in my mind that this will be something that happens at the very beginning of uh, the tribulation period as peace is proclaimed. They throw all of their efforts and all of their energies into rebuilding this temple with hopes that they can usher in the Messiah, not knowing that they are giving license and liberty to the Antichrist to come in and desecrate. But really, it demonstrates a spiritual problem with all of Israel, because the temple itself is a rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, believers in the Lord, we're not taught to build a temple. We built, we built this building, but it's not a temple. We don't call it a, a temple. We don't, we don't believe that God's uh, glory is in here on Monday when nobody's in here. Amen. Uh, God doesn't reside in this place unless we're together in here. Amen. So we, we love this, this building God's given us, but it's just a place, a meeting place. And if it were this building uh, that was made with hands were dissolved, no big deal, because God says that His Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, "'What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost?' "...which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's." Here's the reality is that when they build the temple, it is a rejection of the truth that the, uh, of Jesus Christ. The very fact that they will rebuild it indicates that, uh, that Israel has not received Christ as their Messiah. So what's going to happen? Well, remember Daniel, I kept referencing that. Let me just read what Daniel 9.27 says. It says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week it shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. So just pause for a second. Put a, put a pause on this. So in this timeline, what we see is the rapture of the church, the first thing to happen on the eschatological timetable. T- and then at some point following that, we'll see the Antichrist and Israel and all the nations sign a seven-year peace agreement, uh, during which time they will be able to rebuild the temple And it says that that it will be in play uh, because in the midst of this time, and where where it took 46 years to do the last one, this will take less than three and a half years. And it says, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And so we'll already be in use. There'll already be sacrifice and there'll be serving right here. Daniel lays this out. Listen, this will begin really for Israel, this ungodly league with an evil power Listen, Israel will be at very, very back, uh, at the beginning of this, will not be Christian uh, predominantly. And then God will send forth His servants, His 144,000 servants. They'll go forth and they'll reach out uh, Gentiles and others, but they will also uh, uh, and make efforts to reach the Jewish nation. But the Jews uh, will make uh, this ungodly league with the Antichrist, permitting them to take the city of Jerusalem from the hands of, of those that, uh, that uh, would, uh, would destroy their efforts today. And they build the temple once again. And institute this sacrificial system. listen all along the way they're rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ. you know, lately as we've watched all of these things unfold in Psalm 100, in, in Israel today, Psalm 122 verse 6 plays out in my mind over and over and over again: pray for the peace of Jerusalem. they that love thee uh, or they that love thee shall prosper but as I consider that, and I consider what the Bible tells us, I realize that peace for, for the people of Israel can only happen when they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not going to happen because uh, of, of uh, a peace agreement that they signed with the Antichrist. It's not going to happen uh, for any other reason except for Jesus Christ. You realize that today, these these people, they still need the gospel of God. I'm so grateful that we have missionaries that are there on the ground today. We have some missionaries that want to be back in the country and can't get there. We have some that are daily ministering among the streets and among the Hebrew people. Listen, they need the peace of Christ. One of the greatest things that we could do tonight is just pray. Pray that they would accept Christ before it's eternally too late, before this time comes. Listen, if we love the people of Israel, then there's no greater thing that we can do is to to pray, to send others, or maybe even to go yourself to share with them about the coming Messiah.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?